Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Talk is about to begin. Hey, 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 come on in. Welcome back to your post game Buckeye Talk. Douglas Maurice, Stephen Means, Nathan Baird. After Ohio State's 56 14 win over Indiana. And Nathan, I just wanted to congratulate you on getting the score of this game exactly right. Oh, you you didn't get it exactly right. Oh, that's funny. I thought you and I picked the same score. No. Oh, okay. You guys ever see that one where Michael Scott's on the office is calling people up and saying like, "Hey, happy birthday," and they're like, "It's not my birthday," and he's like, "Oh, that's funny. I thought we had the same birthday." And then very, they very say, clever. "Happy birthday, Michael." So what you're supposed to say here, Nathan, is, "Oh, Doug, you picked the score exactly right. You picked fifty six fourteen, and you got it exactly right. You didn't pick up on that cue though." Why would I give you that satisfaction? <laughs> I mean, once out of 18 years, Stephen, was I like, was I doing like the jitterbug in the press box or what? Like, come on. He, it, the thing is, he was quiet about it at first and then he slowly got cockier and cockier. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, so I did get the score exactly right. doesn't mean I know everything about football. It, it doesn't. I mean, it's just one score. What are you going to do? The weird thing was though, Nathan didn't go to the game today because he's sick. So he's going to stay on this podcast as long as he possibly can. We need to talk about the running back injuries and the run game. We need to talk about the cornerback play, which I think is interesting. And we also need to talk about something that Ryan Day said that I was like, what? Oh my gosh. That feels like a game changer. I feel like we completely understand what is happening with this team right now. And we also need to talk about the fact that I got new headphones that go in my ear, but they also hook over my ear so that my weird-shaped ears don't pop out the, the my earbuds anymore. But they flash. They're glow-in-the-dark, and they flash like in case I want to go for a run at midnight. But I just want to do a podcast, and Nathan, I don't know how to make them stop flashing. So, like, every well, 30 seconds, they just go bloop. I noticed, but I thought it might just be another symptom of whatever is going wrong with my body right now <laughs> that maybe I'm just imagining that your head is lighting up, your ears are lighting up every few seconds. But, no, I, I see it, yeah. I need to call, like, the company hotline and be like, how do I get my headphones to stop flashing light? One thing, this is an old rant that I saved. From the 614, loved the pod and really appreciated the long pods when I was driving from Columbus to Richmond, Indiana, twice a week. Your pods made the drive easy. 
Post-game pods used to be more raw and longer when done together in the press box with the cleaning crew vacuuming under your feet. I feel the post-game pods are less informative this year. I was frustrated when I saw that the last post-game pod at Northwestern was less than an hour. I know Doug had places to go, and I don't blame him. However, since your pod about the pod, some... um has steered the pod toward less in-depth, more quick-hitting analysis that I can catch on text and Twitter. So I don't want people, Nathan and Stephen, to feel like our post-game pod is less informative. I do feel like when we're not in the press box in a hurry, that changes things. We usually try to do this with our own microphones, like at our houses now at home, and we're all separately at home right now. But I we did deal with this on the on one of the pods in the middle of the week. It is just harder to be super in depth, like when you until you rewatch the game, because when you're in the press box and you're covering the game, you're not getting all the television analysis and all the replays. And Stephen and I, you were talking, you and I were talking about this, and I noticed this last week again. Like a lot of the things that you were seeing in the press box and we're talking about, we can see Joel Klatt is drawing it up on TV at the exact same mm-hmm. moment, and so it's like you think, oh, I'm on to something here. Look, look how the safety got dragged down, and then all of a sudden. You look, glance at the TV screen and Joel circling the safety. So I, we can't make it feel raw, but we do want it to be informative. So I don't know. We'll try to be in, in, in uh, informative, I guess. I think it's funny how <laughs> they complain that they're too short. And the first thing we did when we got on this call was go, hey, Nathan, do you need this to be short? <laughs> yeah. Nathan's like, my body is shutting down. Don't make me go 45 minutes. So, But Stephen and I will stay. Nathan – this was an odd experience for you in watching the game on TV. What did you think of that experience? Did it inform you at all of like, hey, this is what Joel and Gus are talking about that we're missing when we're in the press box? What what was your home viewing experience like? There is there is definitely some of that where they will take a play and there are things that, that go by just in a flash when we're watching or because obviously when you're watching and you're texting and you're taking a note and you're getting ready you're writing for later so you're doing so many other things i was doing some of those things still today but to have just the audio helped it wasn't even so much like what you're watching it's just doing all those other things while i'm still listening to the broadcast which is something i usually don't do from the press box so that helped because it i it was easier to not miss something that way uh, but um but also like sitting here on my comfy couch in that first half um, there were definitely some times because of whatever's going on with me right now that I was a little bit drowsy. So I think being in the press box keeps you a little bit more engaged. Yeah, no, people don't usually fall asleep in the press box. Sometimes, sometimes. Depends how many hot dogs eat at halftime. This one I can't really do anything about. I'll have to think about it. From the 310 on the podcast, could you turn off the theme song to close the podcast? I listen as I go to sleep and this, the theme song always wakes me up. Jay from LA. I am not unsympathetic to that, but I need to think about that because I like the closing theme song, but I don't want to wake Jay up. So Jay, I just wanted to, I, those are the two rants that I saved from earlier this week. We'll talk about Cam Bab a little bit too. Yes. I just, I just make a suggestion for Jay. Like I often listen to podcasts when I fall asleep and I always set stop when the pod when the episode ends or whatever because if you don't sometimes you'll wake up in the morning and they'll just been playing podcasts all night uh, but I, you can also do a time period so just if we have a a one hour and 15 minute podcast just set the thing to stop after an hour and you won't catch the theme song at the end oh 
Oh yeah, or even an hour and thirteen and a half minutes. Yeah. Right, just like and anything over an hour, pick now. the hour, and anything under anything that's under an hour, just pick forty five minutes and hope you fall asleep that fast. Because I don't want to deny everyone the theme song just because Jay's trying to fall asleep. Not that we're yeah. not unsympathetic to Jay. We want Jay to get a good night's sleep. But also, maybe people like the theme song. And also to the other texters, that raw enough for you? How raw is that? We're talking about people falling asleep to the podcast. They just played a football game a couple hours ago that we covered. <laughs> we just did seven minutes on can a guy fall asleep to the podcast. Is that well, raw enough? And now I'm just imagining Jay in this horrible vortex of, like, he listens to our podcast to fall asleep, and then the theme song at the end wakes him up. So he has to listen to another podcast to fall asleep, but then that theme song at the end wakes him up, and he just can't ever sleep for more than, like, 48 minutes at a time. Yeah. So, again, Jay, we are sympathetic to it. We're not we, – uh, we get it. We get it. So we'll, we'll try to deal with that. Uh, I do think we have to talk about the run game. And and I can't I, – I have to go also right to the thing that Ryan Day said – that I was like, ding, 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 ding. What is happening? What does this mean? And it's related to the run game. And it's Ryan Day being asked about Bill Landis and, and Austin Ward were asking this. The the run plays in short yardage, because Ryan Day said, I'm banging my head against the wall about the short yardage plays. Like that's the thing. And, and a good win and a 56-14 win, Steven. Like that was the thing that he was aggravated about. And Austin immediately grabbed the mic back and followed up. Very well done to draw that out and said, like, are you just like being stubborn about it? I thought almost thought it was interesting. I think I think Austin put the word stubborn in the question. And Ryan Day was like, Yeah, probably just being stubborn. But the bottom line is Ryan Day admitted that continuing to run the ball on short yardage when it's not working, he probably is trying to prove a point. Mm-hmm. And Stephen, I found an admission by a coach like that after a win, but I, but admitting to the one thing that it went wrong in the win, fascinating. What did you think when you heard Ryan Day say that? The most honest thing he said in a couple of weeks, to be completely honest with you, maybe all season, because let's go back to the Notre Dame game when he comes in there after that 15-play drive and he's like, yeah, we wanted to prove we were tough. Yeah, we can run the ball 31. Yeah, all that stuff. And then we fast forward to now they start playing real opponents, and it's like, oh, well, running backs aren't seeing holes. Oh, well, guys aren't blocking. Oh, well, it's a little bit of everything. No, it's just it's just me. I, I want to prove a point because everybody thought we were soft and Michigan called us a finesse team and we want to prove we're tough and we can get short yardage on the run game when we probably don't have to do that. We can find other ways to solve this issue the way we like to solve this issue. So I, it took 10 weeks for him to come around on this, but I'm very, very happy and I will applaud him on finally coming around to the conclusion that we came around to after the Notre Dame game and that it, Everything they did in that game on that 15-play drive was just the most overblown thing on the planet. Yeah, that really does turn out to be the case. That like They ran the ball to ice the game against Notre Dame, and like they haven't really run it since in the way that they want to in that way. Nathan, sitting at home, you were watching the post-game news conference, right? Because you were um, working, and even though you're sick, you were working from home. Did that hit your ear? Yeah, I, I texted it out as soon as he said it. I thought it was very revealing. Um, but he also said it in such a way that it wasn't – it was almost like – it was almost like, yes, I'm being stubborn, but I needed to be stubborn. It was almost kind of the way I felt like he was saying it. Like I needed to be – I'm being – I know I'm being stubborn, but we still have to do this. 
this still had to be I still had to prove that we could accomplish this this way. But I think you very astutely pointed out in another text that followed up on that, that it doesn't mean that that's what they're going to do against fill in very highly ranked team name here, whether that's Michigan, whether it's a playoff scenario. I, that's where the divorce for me happens. It's like it's it, it he I feel like he has felt like this was a thing that this team needed to prove to itself as much as anything else that it could go do this. But I don't think it feels like he feels like that is what they're going to have to rely on. Absolutely. When that comes up against Michigan. So I think the phrasing was this. I'm looking at a transcript and it's not perfect. The, the phrasing that Austin used in the question was, are you just trying to prove a point when you keep doing it over and over? And Ryan Day said, yeah, probably, probably being stubborn. But I still think we need to get better movement. We need to run harder. We need to get the first down. Like he's sort of saying, yeah, I don't think Austin said stubborn, prove a point. And he admits that, yes. But then he also follows up immediately with, but we still need to be better at it. So I do, the, the thing I think in the end is I understand wanting to get better at it, right? That idea of, I want us to be a team that can run the ball effectively in short yardage. And so we are going to keep trying to be that team. And we are going to keep trying. We're going to try to get better at it, right? But the point, Stephen, to me is, okay, so we're 10 games in now. And let's say that you do it against Maryland, right? Maryland just lost 30 to nothing to Penn State. Like, I don't know. Like Maryland's won six games. They're good. I I, I don't know that you – just because you do something against Maryland doesn't mean it's going to work against Michigan. So to me, Stephen, like, I guess I understand working it out for 10 games, even though we've kind of been like, what are you doing? Like, he was going to, he wasn't going to give up until he had to. And I think it's time to give up. So the question to me is the first time, let's say this, say the first three short yardage situations against Michigan, right? Or even the first, like, so you get the, Michigan wins the toss and defers, Ohio State gets, gets the ball. It's third and two on the first drive. What I don't think they'll run it. <laughs> like, I don't think they'll run it because I think the answer is you're not good at it. And I think they'll either like run a jet sweep to Emeka. I think they'll flip a little oh, thing to Kate Stover like they did on the touchdown today that you pointed out when we were talking about this in the press box. They'll mm-hmm. run a slant to Marvin Harrison Jr., They'll do something other than hand the ball to the running back and rely on the offensive line to get a push. I think they'll be done being stubborn because now it's winning time. What do you think? And again, Steven, I can't believe it. I can't believe it. It's week 10. It's week 11, game 10. It's game 10, and we are back to what is their third and two play against Michigan, which is where we were 11 months and two weeks ago, and we're back here. And last year, they tried to run it, and it didn't work. And now we're telling them, don't run it, because it's not going to work. Yeah, the third and two home is looking at us with wide open arms, like, welcome home. Welcome We've home. missed you on your journey out into the world. Yeah, they're not running the ball. The app, the, the closest they get to a run is one of those little jet sweeps to Emeka Buka, or they might RPO it just to yep. say that the option was there. We all know CJ, anytime it's RPO, he's pulling it and launching that bad boy. But it's too many options now. I, I, I understand we're, it's all, we're in week 10 and we finally got here, but not really. It happened. In week one, where they needed to see if they could do it, and then they ended up, and then they went on to play teams who couldn't, you know, 
shine their shoes for eight straight weeks. And so we really did. And so it was like, is the run game really fixed? Is the run game really fixed? Is the run game really fixed? And then we got to Iowa after the bye week. And it's like, eh, maybe not. Is the run game really fixed? Gets to Penn State. Okay, nope, it's not fixed. It's definitely not fixed because they can't even do it on a day against North- Northwestern when that's the only thing they can do. But it took another five weeks between the Notre Dame game and another team who could actually stop them to figure that out. So really, if you look at it more from that perspective, they spent three weeks trying to figure it out if this is something they could do or not. And the answer is now no, and they know that now, and now they can go forward and do the things that they're actually good at. But but here's What's the other the third thing? and two against Michigan. Go ahead, go ahead and get it, Nathan. Go ahead. I just was, but the other thing is, when, when he says I'm just being stubborn, it's because he thinks third and two against Indiana. All other context aside, they should be able to convert that on the, with a run, right? Yes, like that's what he's saying. Like, yes. He thinks well, he thinks Ohio State should be able to line up on third and two and run the ball and get a first down, and he's wrong a considerable amount of the time right now. So that's the question is like, does that mean anything? What do you mean by does it mean anything? Does it mean anything that this team is not getting the job done in those by running the ball in those situations? And does it say something larger about what's going to happen when it tries to run the ball in any situation against Michigan? No, so, so I will say this, but, that, but I will, the, the, the issue is, and again, we, we I kind of did this on the rants thing. I do think there's a difference between short yardage ineffectiveness and the run game because yeah. actually they did run it against Indiana. Mayan Williams, right. 15 for right. 147. Dallin Hayden, 19 for 102. They had 340 rushing yards. That includes the Xavier Johnson 700, uh, excuse me, 71 yard touchdown where you weave through the whole Indiana Felt defense. Like 700 yards. Yeah, 43 carries, 340 yards, 7.9 yards per carry. Nobody would say they didn't run it against Indiana. They just didn't run it in right. short yardage. Mm-hmm. So I do think there's a difference between, well, what do you want them to do? Do you want them to throw for 600 yards against Michigan? No. I just want them to show, throw it on short yardage. So I do think I do think it is a specific short yardage discussion because, Stephen, you could see things where, like, Mayan was getting work done before I got hurt, and we're going to get to that in a second. Yeah, it was. Dallin Hayden, Dallin Hayden, if you give Dallin Hayden a first, a first down hole, He'll get you six or seven yards. Mm-hmm. Like he's he's taking what's there and getting a little bit more. So I do think the idea of all right, can you really throw it sixty times against Michigan and win? Maybe not, but can you throw it if you have eight short yarded situations? Can you throw it on six of the eight? Yeah, I think you can. So I do think it that's it's a specific short yardage discussion to me at this point. You agree with that, Stephen? That it's that it's more specifically short yardage, or do you think? No, I, I agree wholeheartedly. Especially, and I don't, and even to the, can you throw it sixty times against Ohio State? I mean, against Michigan, maybe because some of those throws maybe. are just extensions of the run game, as they've even said. So if ten of those are just you know horizontal passes, and it's like you ran the ball, so maybe you can from a stat sheet standpoint. But yeah, the actual run game, Mayan Williams, man, he is a different type of back that I haven't seen since we've covered since I've been covering this team in terms of. He is ridiculously hard to tackle because he just doesn't want to go down. There was one run where you literally can't arm tackle this guy. Indiana went high on him, and I don't know how, but he like ducked underneath the arms and stumbled and stumbled his way into an extra like three or four yards on the carry. He just he's an. I understand why there's this idea that maybe he fits this 
specific offense, maybe not last year, but this offense better because you do kind of need a guy who can, it's not even so much turning three yards into six yards. It's just, this dude doesn't stop moving. He doesn't stop turning. And so it's supposed to be two yards, but it's going to be eight yards because he's going to stumble into a couple more yards. But I also do think even as good as Mayan Williams has been, on third and one, if there's an unblocked linebacker in the hole, he's going to try to bounce it outside. He's not going to get it. Yeah. Like there's just like, I don't, yeah. as much as he's, because there was a time when we thought, oh, like, is Mayan, is Mayan the answer on short yardage? Mayan has proven to be like a very good running back, right? Nobody can doubt that. I don't know that he's like a short yardage back. He's mm-hmm. sort of like a get to the second level and run through a linebacker like the touchdown against Northwestern last week, like he Mm -hmm. can be really good. I don't really trust anybody. I don't trust anybody they would hand the ball to, even when they're completely healthy on third and two. And by the way, like I think we were, it was still after Mayan got hurt and we were like watching everything, Steven on the sideline and what's happening with Mayan. And I was like, how did Ohio state lose the ball? And I looked up and I was like, they, what they handed it to who? And they handed it to Mitch Rossi. And it's like, okay, Mm -hmm. honestly, if it's fourth and one and the option is hand it to Mitch Rossi or throw it to anybody, you have to throw it. It's too mm-hmm. cute. So I thought that was like the breaking point of like, okay, we have officially gone too far now with hand it to the fullback instead of throw it to Marvin Harrison. This is ridiculous. Um, Nathan, that standpoint, like, do, do you do you think it is more of a short yarded situation? And do you think that you can just throw your way out of it? Yeah, I mean, clearly it's the the short yardage has been a bigger problem than than running the ball in general in pretty much every game, even other games where we've talked about the running game being um, insufficient. It's shown up the most in short yardage situations in some ways, and I do think that they can throw their way out of it, or that they should. I mean, I think part of this too is they become so predictable in that situation because they never try to throw their way out of it. That's the other thing to consider here is as we've talked in many occasions offensively, defensively, about being unpredictable and being uh, having the element of surprise on your side. Uh, I don't know that any opponent right now respects Ohio State. It's such a weird thing to say, right? Like, oh, they don't respect the pass against Ohio State on short yarded situations. But when that's like they do that better than anybody in the country, throwing the ball in general. So um, some of this might just be, again, the predictability of play calling. And that's where that stubbornness comes into effect. And it's what I was getting back to is just like, so just trying to figure out from the Ryan Day standpoint, like, is it just for for like the the self-confidence of his team? He feels like they need to start converting those, even if he expects to go away from it against Michigan or the or the ego of it, of being able to say, we fixed this problem. We had a problem and we fixed it as coaches. Like what what is the motivation that has led to that stubbornness? Because it's not necessarily we're all sitting here saying, and I think he would probably agree if he were on this podcast, which he's free to come on at any time and take some truth serum or whatever. Um, would he, he would say, I, I, yeah, we could definitely throw the ball more than we do, and we get it. Because how many play books and how many plays in their playbook do they do you think they have that they feel like it's like a hundred percent certainty that they can get three yards with it from a passing standpoint? Like all of them? I think it's his ego. I I don't know. See, but I I don't think I think it's he thinks he thought it was what was best for the team, because honestly, like a lot of the stuff, let's let's be honest, often the ego conversation we have with Ryan Day and play calling is he likes to throw it too much. Right. Like that's his ego. I think he got trapped 
as I texted, in a toughness vortex. And he got very interested. I think it's good for our team to prove we are tough. And the way that we prove it is through running the ball and stopping the run. And the best way to prove it is running the ball in short yardage. And as they've said all year, you have to run the ball when they know you're going to run it. And so I would be willing, I will buy them shirts myself that say, we're not tough, but we're national champs. Because what is the goal here? Is it to win a toughness? Because I said, I, I do not think they will win a toughness battle with Michigan in two weeks. I would recommend not getting into a toughness battle. Don't get in a fight you're not going to win. Don't ask a question on the witness stand that you don't know the answer to. Michigan is living for a toughness battle. What are you trying to do? Do you want to win the football game or do you want to win the toughness battle? And I think, Stephen, they might have to pick. Ideally, you would win both. I don't yeah. know that they can win both. And, and I would rather win the game than win the tough than then because you could win the toughness battle and then have Michigan beat you 17 to 16 or something. Like I don't so I, I do think I don't think it was for him though. I think I he's know. been doing this because he thinks it's for that team. Yeah, I, I I don't I mean it's not directly for him, but he is the face of the team and everything that this team is is a reflection on him as the head coach. So when someone calls you a finesse team or people questions your team's toughness, that's a reflection on you. And yeah, how that's true. So it's it's I'm not saying it's directly like I'll show, but it is a level of this is like you're calling my program soft, which means you're calling me soft because I'm allowing it. More importantly, I have projected it because no one ever called Urban Meyer's team soft. And you probably wouldn't call Urban Meyer a soft coach. So I it, it's, it goes hand in hand. You can't have one without the other, but you are right. Ryan Day, Ryan Day wants both. He wants to win the tough. He wants to out tough Michigan, but he also wants to beat Michigan. The problem is Michigan plays a style of football that requires them to be tough. Ohio State doesn't play a style of football that requires them to be tough and be successful. So he does have to pick one, and he spent he spent ten weeks figuring that out. And honestly, if you're in a fight, right? If you're in a boxing match with a brawler who wants to get up close and tie you up and, and hit you with body shots, you, you step back and jab him to death, man. Yep. Just jab Michigan to death. Don't let Michigan tie you up and get you in that game. But Nathan, hasn't that been the ego conversation? Every ego conversation we've had with Ryan Day along the way is usually this guy likes to chuck it around. When's he going to stop chucking it around and, and balance out the offense or, or care about other things or be a coach of the entire team? Like he, he just loves to pass the ball. And like now, now it's like he won't <laughs> Now he won't pass it. And I will say, and just in the name of stats, because this stat broadcasting is so good. So Ohio State was 7 of 14 on third downs against Indiana. They were 5 of, so the definition for the stat broadcast is third and short is between 1 and 4 yards. Third and long is 9 yards or more. And then there's a bunch of stuff that's 5 and medium, third and medium. So I'm just going to break it down. Third and short and not third and short. Not third and short, they were five of eight on third down. Third and short, they were two of six. So they were better when it was longer, Nathan. 
Buckeye talk because they're so bad in short yardage. And what more do you need, right? Again, it's another proof like the, we'd rather, because if it's third and five, you know what you're allowed to do? Throw it to Marvin Harrison. Because nobody says, ah, I can't believe you didn't run the ball on third and five because nobody runs the ball on third and five. So I, I think like that's that's the kind of stuff. And if we, if we went back and looked through all the stats and maybe we'll do it before Michigan, I think that's what it's telling us. I think that's what it's telling us, Nathan. So. Yeah, and it's... It's curious to me. So, is it? But is it because he want doesn't want to be able to say? Does he not want to get second guessed when he throws it on third and two and they don't get it because there's an incompletion or somebody drops a pass or uh, the protection doesn't quite hold up or whatever? Like, and then people question him later. Why did you throw it on third and two? And he doesn't want to be able to doesn't want to have to say because we didn't have confidence in running it there. Is that what this all comes back to? I- I don't. I think it's about his team. I don't think it's about us or the fans. Okay. I think it's about they stood up in front of their team and said, "We're going to be tough this year." Yeah. And then if they never tried to run it, then it's like, "Well, I thought you said we're going to be tough." And now it's like, now we just have to win. I, I do think it's about an identity. And again, I I didn't want the media to overdo the toughness discussion this year, and they have bathed in the toughness discussion oh, yeah. by choice, by choice, by choice, and they have to. They have to separate themselves from it now. They kind well, of have to admit defeat on this, I think, and move on to the next thing. I think if you beat Michigan by any method, nobody's going to be asking, well, did you beat them in a tough way? They're going to be asking, hey, how much do you think you're going to win the Big Ten championship game by? <laughs> like, they're not. Nobody's going to care how you won it. So I, I think that that conversation takes care of itself by just winning that game in any any way that you win it and we've seen we don't go too far down this track but like well, the best version of ohio state these past couple of years without question really since i've started being here is when they run away and hide and make someone come chase them and that's what they that's the best way to beat this michigan team and the, yeah if you lose it's only a toughness conversation if you lose so you win nobody cares if you if they but, lose on saturday then it's like see they're not tough if they win it's like oh we're going to indy Cool. We beat Michigan. Next. Yeah. And, yeah. Exactly. And and um. But also, Ryan Day has always looked for that other motivator. That that thing that maybe it doesn't even logically make sense, but somebody out there said it, and I'm going to use that to motivate my team. Now, this one there was was a little bit more founded in reality, but it doesn't surprise me at all that like he's done versions of this before, right? You know, ESPN picked us to finish eighth in the Big Ten or whatever that dumb thing was like three years ago. It didn't make any sense. It wasn't even actually what that graphic was saying, I think. Like, but he's used those things as motivation before. And I think um, this was another version of that that you're right. It may have just kind of gotten that. You might have uh, created a monster a little bit. And I don't think when Joe Burrow threw for 12 touchdowns and 950 yards in the playoff in 2019 in those two games mm-hmm. that people were like, oh, LSU. Oh, what do you do? We afraid to run the ball, LSU? It's like, hey, show us your. It's like, nope. We are just going to chug it around because that's what we're good at. Okay. We have to talk about actually what's happening in the running back room. We'll do it next. We'll see if Nathan falls asleep or goes to bed or coughs up a lung. Stay tuned on Buckeye Talk.
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. We're back. I do think that would be a good way to get Ryan Day on the podcast. It was like, hey, Ryan, Nathan's out sick. Can you step in? Because it's always like, hey, we need a third. You know, we need a th- Ryan, we need a third for the pod. We wouldn't be asking otherwise. But Nathan's sick. And we thought to ourselves, who could we get? I don't next know. Next man up. Coach. Yeah, next man up. Uh, speaking of next man up, is Dallin Hayden the Cardale Jones of the running back room? So there was yeah. a moment, right, when it's like Trevon Henderson's in a walking boot before the game. Mayan Williams is in a walking boot by the second half. And I'm saying to myself, is the running back rotation against Michigan going to be Dallin Hayden, Xavier Johnson, and maybe Chip Trainum? And then after the game, Ryan Day says, we expect Trevion Henderson to play against Maryland. And they do not think, according to Ryan Day, he said, we looked at it in the locker room about Mayan Williams, who's in a walking boot and on crutches and in sweats in the second half. Steven, right with the phrase, we looked at it in the yeah. locker room and we don't think it's a long-term injury. Yeah. So I was like, well, freshman Dallin Hayden is potentially going to go down in history with the like the guy who, who saved the team kind of stuff that Cardale had. And then all of a sudden it's like, oh, I don't know, maybe they will have both Mayan and Travion Henderson for Michigan. Steven, what do you think the state of the running back room is right now? I said it in a video, I'll say here, I think it's in a little bit of a peril situation, but I just also don't think it matters because let's just, sure, I mean, let's, sure, maybe Travion Henderson and Mayan Williams are, don't play over the next couple of weeks and you are and you have to go the long haul with Dallin Hayden and Xavier Johnson and Chip, train them as your people. Okay, they're going to throw the ball anyway. So you can offset that a little bit. You can that you can also use. I mean, Xavier Johnson proved he maybe is more Debo Samuel than Emeka Buka is today. But Emeka Buka has been used in the run game. They've ran jet sweeps to Marvin Harrison this season. Uh, apparently, C.J. Stroud wants to run more nowadays. I don't think that's a good idea. But I'm not going to tell Coleridge how to do his job. But they can offset the fact that they don't have their best two backs pretty easily here by giving the ball to CJ Stroud and saying, give it to that wide receiver, that wide receiver, that tight end, and that wide receiver. And I think they'll be perfectly fine. Like it almost might be the pass they're looking for, Nathan. Like not not a pass throwing the ball, but like a like a hall pass of like, yeah. hey, oh, well, we you know what? We were gonna be tough against Michigan, but then all of our running backs got hurt, so we had to throw it to Marvin Harrison Jr. twenty six times in the Michigan game. Sorry. We actually had a hold. Oh, you should have seen the toughness plan we had. Oh, oh, we worked on it all year. We worked on it all off season. It was, I have it right here. Toughness plan. It's on a yellow legal pad, but ugh, couldn't use it. Had to go to the up, throw the ball. So it is, it is kind of that, but also maybe Nathan, like, I don't know. Dallin Hayden hits holes. He hits holes. He ran for a hundred yards on Saturday. It's like, if they said, because the other thing is, so, so Ryan Day said, hey, we think Travion will be back next week, and we don't think Mayan Williams is a long-term injury. I don't think he's lying, but this team has had nagging injuries. Jackson Smith and Jigba, Jordan Hancock, Cam Brown, Denzel Brook. There are guys who are like, they're out, then they're back, then they're out again. And I'm not blaming anybody, but I, I mean, it's just, it's proof, Nathan, not that it happens to only Ohio State, but 
They've got two banged up running backs who had walking boots on. And I don't think we know what that means. It's good news, Nathan, of like, they're not saying, oh, we don't think we're going to get those guys back. That's very good news for Ohio State. But I certainly don't think it's a guarantee that they're both going to be ready for Michigan. Yeah, and let's clarify also that when Ryan Day says we looked at it in the locker room, it wasn't like just like him and Tony Alford under like a hanging, like creaky light, like looking at his ankle or whatever. Like medical professionals had had talked to Mayan Williams today. Like he was on crutches in the second half. Like real doctors had talked to him. And I think that that information was also relayed to Ryan Day to some point. But we've also, he's also been um, overly optimistic at times about some injuries. And so we'll see what happens with Henderson. He said, hopeful. He started to say that they'll, he's, he thinks he'll be back next week. And then I think he slipped in the word hopeful later in that sentence or the next sentence. And then with Williams, it's obviously it, it's very early. You got to wait till the next day sometimes to see exactly what happens. But I also agree with Steven, I think at the end of the day, and this is sort of a, a opinion that I've had for a long time about the running back position here. And the first time I tried to express it, I kind of got shouted down a little bit because you know, we'd you get you know you had seen the the what it means to have Ezekiel Elliott, what it means to have J.K. Dobbins, etc. But I just still feel like the least five star necessary position on that offense is always running back. And oh, well, no, see, but I'll shout you down on that again because like I do yeah. like I think like in general I think having Ezekiel Elliott or if Bijan Robinson was here or that would be a huge deal. But I think given what they have right now. I don't think Dallin Hayden is a huge step down from right. healthy Trey, who just seems a little off, and healthy Mayan, who does some things very well, but still is not B. John Robinson. So that, but, that's the point that, like, given the circumstances, I don't think but, Dallin Hayden is a huge drop off. Especially for what they're going to have what, to do. The, but the circumstances are what this program is built to do now. The circumstances are quarterback like C.J. Stroud, receivers like the eight receivers they have. I, okay, that's see, okay. That's what be right now. I'll, I'll agree with the, the running back is no longer the engine of Ohio state offense has as it's often been anymore. And so because of what they're going to ask Dallin to do, and that's be the guy when CJ's throwing it around for 250 yards and a half and teams start trying to back off to prevent that from continuing to happen. Then Dallin hits a hole. Yes. It, it, it's over time. No, Ohio State needs a five-star running back because that's what it wins national championships with. That might not be true going forward anymore because of the level of quarterback play and wide receiver play. But still, still, I'm still on your side, Doug. If they had B. John Robinson and Ezekiel Elliott right now, well, we, sure. Well, but I'm not, that, I'm not like, saying I, that. Well, but my my points here. I, I have two very separate points. One is. This is an offense that's still built for a running back to get 25 carries if he's a workhorse. They tried like heck to get Bijan Robinson. They spent a lot of time trying to get Richard Young here. Like they are going yeah. after five star running backs. They have not given up the running back position. And if they had one, they would feed him, as I pointed out the other day, like they're 77th in the nation or whatever it is, and how often they throw the ball. Like they're running the ball 54% of the time this year compared to 46 pass plays. That was before today when they ran for 340 yards. There is an absolute opportunity here for a five-star running back to come here. J.K. Dobbins ran for 2,000 yards three years ago. Mm -hmm. That's That opportunity is still here. Now, J.K. Dobbins was recruited under Urban Meyer with the different expectations, but I don't think they've given up on that style of running back, and I don't think it's impossible for that type of running back to succeed. What they have right now, the way their backs have played this year, that guy's not here. Now, 
Maybe the best of Travion in 2023 can get back to being that kind of guy. But Ezekiel Elliott's not here. So don't worry about running it as much. Chuck it all over the place. Throw it to Marvin until his arms fall off. And I think Dallin Hayden might be good enough. That, I think, is my my final. So I guess, it, but so what is here right now, Nathan? Again, if we're going to be skeptical, we're going to be skeptical of Mayan and Trey just because bodies are weird and you don't know what's going to happen. And we do have just, well, it's, it's anecdotal and probably coincidental that they've had some lingering injuries this year. So let's just say, Nathan, and this is worst case scenario for them. But since Mayan and Trey both ran for 100 yards against Wisconsin, that's game four. They've now played six games since then. They've had one game in the last six where they've both been healthy the whole time, and they weren't very good against Iowa because Iowa had really good run defense. So one time in the last six, they've both been healthy the whole game. So, okay, if Dallin Hayden has to be the lead back against Michigan, Nathan, do you think that is very detrimental to Ohio State's chances of winning or do you think they'd be closer to probably okay and they'll maybe just even throw it slightly bit more than they planned, but Dallin Hayden could be the lead back and run it 16 times in that game? I I think they'd probably be okay. The one hesitation I have is that both Mayan Williams and Trevion Henderson um, have run the ball enough in their careers now that you – the people I think that you have a reasonable expectation that those guys are going to take care of the ball. Like you have a lot of proof of it. Those guys are not prone to fumbles. And I'm going to start to sound like Ryan day here pretty soon. Cause he seems more obsessed with running back fumbles than all yeah. running back coaches in, in college football combined. But, but that could make the the difference in that game. It's like the one time that a guy gets a hand in there and punches something out and a, a guy who has run uh, several hundred times against first-string Big Ten defenses is more prepared for that moment than the guy who was didn't get here till July. To my knowledge, I don't think Dallin Hayden's fumbled yet this year. But obviously, we don't watch practice, so we don't Much know. Much smaller sample size. That was like a yeah. We don't with a smaller sample size. But day is like that in general with just taking care of the ball, whether it's throwing picks or fumbles. That's that's his hang-up, clearly. Take care of the ball, and anything is possible, and that's probably true when you're running an offense like this. But the question then is, and it's probably not even a question because Dallin Hayden isn't going to get the ball more than 15 or 16 times. It's If they're in a situation where Dallin Hayden has to get the ball 20 times, then are you talking about a fatigue situation where because he's had it so much, much and he's only 18 years old, and then unlike Travion last year, who got here in January, Dallin got here in June, so it's not like he's gone through a winter workout's worth of like physical development there. Does there come a point where even if he has good ball security, he's just he's just beat because the game's physical, and he's a, he's still a kid for all sense and purposes. And on the 19th carry, he breaks one, but he's not as secure with the ball as he should be, and a Michigan defender pops it out. I yeah, think that's yeah, Ryan Day's biggest wor- worry right now. It's not that... Dallin Hayden is careless with the ball. It's that he is an 18-year-old kid who has not undergone the physical development needed to play in a game like that for 20-plus carries. But I think the important thing is, Doug, you said, like, your, your, your imaginary thing you're throwing out there was, like, 16 carries. He actually ran it 19 times today. I don't know that against Michigan they would mm-hmm. expect him to be a workhorse. I think the offense yeah. would be different. 
and that's what we've been talking about since the almost the top of this thing, is that that might just be a day where they're throwing it, uh, the ratio gets flipped. I do think it's it's one of these things. Just you have conversations. This is a this is kind of a weird, boring game. Indiana's, by the way, just very quickly in Indiana, they're terrible. They're so bad. There were things I, I said the whole game is like I don't know what they're trying to do on any individual play on either Not side of the it. ball. <laughs> and I understand that maybe they don't have players who are capable of hanging with Ohio State. I don't know what their plan was for anything. Other than when they took out the starting quarterback, brought in the backup quarterback, and told him to throw it down the field, and they hit that big play. And then Ohio State, of all the things that was odd, I don't, you're not going to call a guy out, but I understand getting the twos in. They put in a, a walk-on to field a punt late in the game, and I felt like of all the things to do, it's like, what is the situation where you would ever need to have that happen? And so, like, why would you do that? And that led to Indiana's second puck touchdown because they muffed the punt. It's like, just get a Mecca back there, tell them the fair catch it, and let the offense and Kyle McCord come back on the field. So anyway, they hit a deep shot, but Indiana was awful. But the thing we're talking about, so it was like an interesting game, but it was awful. Inept. I would fire Tom Allen. Can we do five minutes, two minutes on this? Nathan, they're awful. I know it's like they just signed him and whatever. I feel like that was... That's the kind of thing where I thought if I was the AD or the president of Indiana, I would have looked at that game and thought, oh, no, we have no idea what we're doing. And there's a difference between losing and losing in a way that it looks like you don't know what you're doing. And as like some proof of concept of how bad this situation is, the Indianapolis star like didn't send Zach Osterman to the game, their main beat writer. And yeah, and like, eh. I don't think they've been. What are you gonna with them. Well, I don't know if they've been traveling with them all year, actually. Oh, for real. And the other, the guy who was Dustin Depirac, who was working at the Herald Times, but also covering them, actually just got promoted to the Pacers beat, so that further depleted who they could send to this game. But um, although, actually, I heard someone in the press box say, "Man, people must have given up on Ohio State after that Northwestern game last week." Cleveland.com didn't even send its main beat yeah. writer to the game today. That's I true. Heard he lives that. down the street. That's true. Um, no, I've I've been listen. I go back to 2020. I was the one, uh, one of the people who was uh, not giving you didn't buy it, not giving Indiana the <laughs> no credit buy. that everyone thought that they deserved. Um, and this is where you get sometimes it's tough, man. It's tough because when you have no success at all, and I'm talking about for like generations, then the first time you smell something like that, where you're in the top ten. And you're like, I mean, you get down 35 to 7 to Ohio State, but then you come back and you kind of scare him and you only lose by a touchdown. And you've got this quarterback who's got an arm and he's doing some things. And I'm watching him play Oregon right now for Washington, Michael Penix, um, doing pretty well. Like, you think there's something there and, like, you've got to strike while the iron's hot. And, but what you were really doubling down on was nothing. I mean, Penix, as it turned out, was going to get hurt. And he wasn't going to finish his career there. And the, the rest of the infrastructure just wasn't there. It was smoke and mirrors. And, and and I don't know what they, I don't know where they go forward with Tom Allen. I think I, I mean, to- I, I, they may not dump him yet. They won those first three games this year. Um, it's, you know, they could beat Purdue. Like they, I don't remember who they play next week, but like there's, that's at least one winnable game. I think anybody in the West could lose to anybody. And I think it's been proven so far. But, like, I just don't know what the next step is that takes them back towards what they think they invested in. 
So I, I don't know. I don't believe that. I don't believe that Indiana can be Purdue. I'm I'm still shocked that Indiana's won any games this year. Ohio State has a win streak against Indiana that's as old as I am, which is mm. that's that's pitiful. That's absolutely pitiful. I don't know who their safeties coach is, but he should no longer be allowed to coach safeties in the at the college level because I have never seen safeties out of position as often as I've seen safeties out of position in this Indiana. It was to the point where it's like. It wasn't so much that these wide receivers were just beating DB. Well, they were, but that that's neither here nor there. It was made so much worse because you're like, where's the safety? Wait, why is he in the box? Why is he next to a linebacker? Why is he taking this hole when it's very clear that my when Maya Williams is run, I was gonna the safety bring this up. guessed the wrong hole, but he didn't guess the wrong hole by like one hole off. He was on the whole other side of the field. So, all right. Listen, so I wanted to bring this up because I thought- every now and then everybody's been everybody's been one hole off. But if you're two holes off, you're in <laughs> trouble. Man, this is see. This is this is what you get when you wait. I don't want to watch Indiana play football. Yeah, I, <laughs> I know this I is what Indiana has done to us. Yeah, man, I just I don't want to watch Indiana play football. Fuck, I talk raw. <laughs> but but on that like 48 yard touchdown run, I honestly thought that that might have been an overcompensation for. CJ Stroud's running ability because that play was a very simple handoff. Uh, Williams takes goes like inside the tackle. So just very standard, like between the tackles run, but Stroud like peels off to the other side and there's a single high safety. And instead of just it's to me, it seemed obvious like where that run was going, but he stepped towards the side that Stroud had peeled off on, like he was maybe keeping the ball and running with it. And then when he did that, he pinned himself inside the referee. And so by the time he realized that Mayan Williams was running, now he was like, he couldn't get through the referee and Mayan Williams was just gone. Go back and look at it. It's hilarious. And I thought, I was like, like, my God, did they take, did they CJ Stroud that seriously as a runner? Or was that just a heinous example of (laughs) eye discipline? And I think it might have just well, been the latter, the latter. And then the touchdown to Marvin Harrison Jr., two linebackers in the safety bit so hard on the play action. It was like yeah. mine, they, Ohio State had run the ball reasonably well for like two or three plays, and Indiana was like, that's it. They're a running team. And then Marvin Harrison Jr. was running by everybody. It's like, they're not. They're not. Why are you biting? You're 12 yards from the line of scrimmage. Why are you biting that hard on play action? Marvin Harrison Jr. is running Right, and you can see the guy. He bites, and he's like wily coyote, like like putting on the brakes and trying to turn the other way. And it's like it's over, man. It's over. It's Marvin Harrison Jr. He's right there. He's right. Are you, you going to come from safety and make a tackle oh, in the backfield on Mayan Williams? It's <laughs> his dad's in the Hall of Fame. His dad played in Indiana. You should know this. He's running right past you. What are you doing? Inept. I think they're inept. I'm not sure. I think Tom Allen maybe just only gives locker room speeches. He's, yeah. Like, I don't, maybe they don't. Maybe they don't watch film. Do they not practice? He just gives speeches the whole time. I thought it was awful football. I think that I've only ever been this frustrated watching an Ohio State opponent one other time, and it was the last year's Michigan State game when it was like, come on, dude, you're not even trying to cover these receivers. I got so ticked off at that Garrett Wilson touchdown because it's like, you didn't even try, man. You just gave up there. Today it's like, who taught y'all this week? What did y'all do in practice? What was film session like? Because it seemed as if – they looked at the film of Ohio State through nine games and said, here's how we stopped them. 
We're going to do the polar opposite on that on every single snap and see what happens. And, and as much as like I like to make fun of Rutgers as a program, that like is the difference with something like that. When a Shiano team comes in, they're going to have yeah. seven trick plays, and they are going to bust it. And they are not just going to do what they do every other Saturday. And they're going to throw everything they have to try to keep this game to five touchdowns instead of eight. And like that is the difference of like you understand Rutgers is overmatched and like it's never going to get over the top against Ohio State. But Nathan, at least they try. Yeah. At least they try something. They're they try to be competent. They don't just lay down. I I mean, it told me everything that I needed to know about Indiana when you saw that they averaged the fewest yards per play in the Big Ten and yet had the fastest pace of like any team in the country. That makes no sense. Like what what are you doing? The, what what combination of that makes sense? And and what's really kind of sad though, like if you imagine, like when I did this piece on Justin Fry this week, and he had said like I was like the only kid in Indiana that grew up wanting to play football for Indiana instead of basketball, because that's obviously just what everybody in the state's mad oh. about. But there are like legitimate Indiana football fans, and like you experience twenty twenty, they have this thing where like they get Desan McCullough, that's like the highest rated recruit they've ever had. And and you've got like even a defensive minded coach. You think, well, maybe you could put something together with that. And like he's actually having a really good season. But um, for what it's worth, nothing. <laughs> and he had to flip to Sam McCullough because they hired his entire family, and then his entire family left. So we'll see how much longer Sam McCullough is a Hoosier. That also is true. I was asked about that this week, and hey, Nathan, if if they yeah. thought if people thought he might, flip I don't know. I don't know. Yeah, if I don't know if he'll flip back anymore. to Ohio State because he's, no, no, no. he's, he's not a linebacker anymore. But he'll he'll be at some. I would if this does happen, I would assume he'd be at a much higher level no, program. He's definitely playing against Ohio State next year for Notre Dame, like where his dad coaches. <laughs> oh. I don't think he's there's any doubt about that. Dealers. Dealers gonna keep I leaving him. <laughs> I don't think there's any doubt about that. I, I agree. Fully anticipating that, like especially since Al Washington's have, like, there. Yes. He's going to have like 11 tackles against Ohio State next <laughs> yes. year for Indiana. So like I don't that's that's definitely yeah. happening. Um okay. There's one more thing we need to talk about and we'll do it next on Buckeye Talk. Doug Nathan is Steven 6143503315. That's where you find the text if you'd like to join us. Listen, I'm going to give a little speech here and I'm going to give it on Twitter later. So we don't know what's happening with Twitter. I mean, if you're on Twitter, I think you are aware of the fact that Elon Musk has bought Twitter and it's a little funky right now. We aren't experts on that. Things have changed and then unchanged. We're not making a value judgment on that. But there's a possibility that Twitter may be different. And I I don't know what that means. But it's just not like the same old, same old Twitter for sure. So we just happen to have this closed social media structure where you can find out stuff about the team you really like directly from us. And it does cost money and Twitter's free. I get that. So that's a difference. But we're also free for two weeks. So you could, if you started now, you'll get it through the Michigan game. And if you're worried about that or just like wondering what's up, this would be a good time, like really seriously starting right now, get you through the Michigan game while Twitter's working this stuff out. You go, you type it, you, you send a text to 614-350-3315. You get a message back to sign up. You do have to put your credit card number in to sign up for free. You guys know how that works. A lot of places do that. We're not trying to swindle you. It's just how stuff works. But you don't get charged on your credit card for the first two weeks. So before, if you do it now as you're listening to this, if you listen to it on Sunday, you could you could quit. And all you have to do to quit is you just type S-T-O-P and you're out. 
I signed up for something the other week and I was trying to quit it and I had to call the place and they were only open like nine to five during the week. And it was like for three weeks, I couldn't quit because I didn't have time. I couldn't, I kept forgetting to call. We're easy to quit. Buckeye talk for a lot of reasons, both mentally and emotionally (laughs) and logistically. Very, oh, these guys, I got sick of them real quick. We get it. So we're not trying, I mean, are we trying to capitalize on Twitter being goofy? I mean, a little bit, because like we're our own thing. And I know you guys hear about it all the time, but like something has changed, right? The Twitter situation is different than it ever was before. So it might be time to try it. That's all. And it'll get you through the biggest game of the year for free. And before you go to bed on Saturday night, type S-T-O-P and you'll be out and you'll have never paid a cent. So that's all. Just presenting it. If you've ever thought about it, that would be your opportunity right now. Ohio State's top three cornerbacks, Denzel Burke, Cam Brown, and Jordan Hancock, have combined missed 13 games this year. So total, they would be available for 30 games total. 10 games times three guys. They've missed 13. Jordan Hancock missed the first six. Cam Brown missed five. And Denzel Burke missed his second game today. So Stephen and, H- and I were watching. More too. Oh, I think actually Hancock missed the first five and then one more. I actually think is what is right. I think it was six and one more. Is that right? He was out the whole first half. He didn't play until Iowa. Was it? I looked at the thing. I looked at the – well, maybe it, maybe it's 14 then. I looked I at the thing because they have an online thing of like how you look at the Ohio State guys who have played or not. And I looked at the thing, and the thing said – regardless, that's a lot of games for yeah. your top three corners, right? To say like, First hey. half. And it's not it's – just, it's just a reality. It's just truth. So we were watching warm-ups, and we're like, oh. And then, by the way, like J.K. Johnson, who at times has played a lot of snaps for them, was clearly the third guy today and d- did not play a ton. Jair Brown was the fourth guy up, didn't play a ton. Brian Day did say Denzel Burke is among the guys. Denzel Burke, Dewan Jones, Chip Trainum, all tr- they all thought were close and then just couldn't quite get over the top to play is how Ryan Day described that. He thinks they'll all be back next week. But Stephen, as you and I were watching it and we watched this game unfold, we were kind of talking it out. And it's like, I do think it's possible that in the end, the place they maybe want to get to is Denzel Burke and Jordan Hancock as the starting corners. And in this with Cam Brown ready and like a real third rotation guy. And that probably is their best version of that. And they really like have not been that at all. I don't know if they've been that. I think they have not been that for a single game. No. Because like... Jordan Hancock and Cam Brown were never together before, right? Because Cam Brown's been out, mm-hmm. and then Jordan Hancock came back while Cam Brown was out, and then it was Jordan Hancock and Cam Brown today, but then Denzel Burke was out. Mm-hmm. So I do think the best version of this is Denzel Burke and Jordan Hancock as your starters, Cam Brown as the rotation guy, and Steven, it is a convoluted road to that. But if those are your three guys versus Michigan and beyond – as much as we talked about corners, because there was a point today where Mayan got started to get it going, and I was like, ah, and they got beat deep on like a broken coverage or somebody didn't yeah. do something right, and that gave up the deep ball. And I was like, oh, look, now we're back to the thing that is the biggest problem again. The running game is fixed, and now we're talking about corners again. Steven, could it be fixed by when it matters? Yes, and today showed some proof of that because for the first time all season, when a corner made a mistake – they could actually pull him because they had somebody to pull him for. And J.K. Johnson made a mistake and gave up that big play. Next snap, Cameron Brown's back out there. And there haven't been a lot of like 
I don't think Jordan Hancock and Denzel Burke have played in the same game yet, at least not in a meaningful way. So maybe we'll see that against Maryland next week. But yeah, I think in the, in the preseason, we kind of thought that by the end of the year, we get to a spot where Jordan Hancock and Denzel Burke would be their best two corners. And then the, and then Denzel Burke's the third guy. Maybe JK Johnson has to wait a year. JK has just gotten a lot more snaps than anticipated because of so many injuries, but we got here. Finally, we think we'll see if Denzel Burke is actually going to play next week. Is but as long as knocks on wood, nothing happens to any of these three guys. We get to the Maryland game, we should see some health level of a healthy rotation between those three. And then against Michigan, it's probably a who's our best two, and they're going to play every meaningful snap necessary. Cam Brown, just be ready, or whoever is number three is, just be ready. So Hancock played 15 snaps against Iowa and then 31 against Penn State. So they have played with. Burke, I don't know how often they've been on the field together necessarily, but they've played in the same yeah. games together. Um, I, I thought something else that was important today, you know, early in this game, Cam Brown um, had a big stop on a third down. Um, I think they were throwing to the tight end. I think it was the same tight end that ended up catching the touchdown over him. And I, But I still yeah. think maybe the first thing is more important than that second thing. It's a terrible matchup for Ohio State to have like a 6-6 tight end on Cam Brown. I don't oh, know how, and, and you you saw Indiana like wanted that matchup. Exactly, they, yeah. they put that guy out to get that matchup. Exactly. Yeah. So you know, I, sometimes you're just stuck. I don't know what you do with that necessarily. Ohio State certainly tries to do its version of that to teams all the time. So I thought it one of the things that has plagued the cornerback play this year is not that like, oh, that was a bad play. You can pick out this one little bad play. It was like, well, I mean, look at the last time Cam Brown was on the field against Michigan State. And I think he was probably trying to play through something. But, like, it was kind of a disaster. Like, he was not with it that day. Like, it was a series of things that were wrong. And we saw early this year, like, Denzel Burke would have, like, repeated mistakes. He'd have, like, you know, multiple pass interference calls on one drive. And, like, all they needed was some more consistency from that position. Even if you're going to have an occasional mistake, what are you doing the next time out that like redeems that a little bit? I thought you saw a step towards that today, and that's even with Burke not being on the field. So uh, a couple of things I want to hit. Dewan Jones didn't play. Ryan Day said he was close. We were watching him go through warmups. It felt like, oh, no, like he was he was fully in uniform. He was going mm-hmm. through warmups with the ones like he went all the way to the wire to the point that we're like, oh, he's going to play. And then Josh Fryer came out with the ones to start the game. We're like, oh, that was the first time we knew he wasn't going to play. Everybody else was like, oh, they're not playing. Um, it seemed I asked Ryan Day about Josh Fryer, and he was like, I got to watch the film. But he said one of the reasons they kind of held Dewan Jones back is because they believed in Josh Fryer. They're like, okay, if Dewan's close, but it's not worth the risk, we believe in the backup. I think it's clear that, that Josh Fryer is their sixth guy. He was coming off his own injury coming into this season. Ryan Day said, I have to watch the film. It's, he, he said, like, I think he seemed like he did pretty well in protection and stuff. There were some plays where they got him out in the run game, and he made some blocks on the edge and sealed some stuff off. I don't know, Nathan. If you, I thought at first glance that Josh Pryor, Pryor played well, and I thought that was not nothing because we've off, we've kind of wondered who's the sixth guy, and we've talked a lot about the lack of depth on the offensive line. And, and here's why I thought it was maybe interesting, and I'm not trying to read into anything. Fryer is probably a tackle, but has also repped at guard. And if you feel like there would be anything, I thought today, because Josh Fryer had been sort of like that extra tight end guy or whatever, but had not played like a full game on offensive line, 
I just thought maybe today, if you felt like you needed it because of Matt Jones's health or anything else, it was like, oh, hmm, maybe not for Michigan. I'm almost thinking like you have three weeks to prep for the playoff. I th- it looked like to me like Josh Fryer could play. I thought he, I thought he did his job today. But even regardless of whether it means anything for the future or not, a backup had to start, and I thought he did his job. Yeah, along those lines too, because I was asking myself that question when we talked to day about Fryer, uh, he was asked about him in either last Tuesday. It was within the past week. I asked him on Tuesday. Yeah. Steven asked him about on Tuesday and he, he brought up the ACL injury there and how recent that was and how he's probably not all the way back from that. I think that matters more if you're trying to play guard than if you're trying to play tackle. Like if you're getting out and trying to lead, pulling stuff mm-hmm. and, and getting out and like, I, I just think that you need though that you would need that push more there. So um, that's what makes me a little hesitant to think that they would look at him in that capacity. Um, and, but it may explain further why they don't feel like they have someone that they can, that is, is good enough in that capacity to, to put in for Jones, even for a, a brief period of time. I agree to an extent that I don't think they have to stick with anybody. I think they found some comfort in at least, some level of depth with a six guy. If you, if they thought it, they kind of got validated today, but I think more importantly, I mean, they know who the best five this year. I feel a lot more comfortable about one of the tackle spots now in 2023. Now you still got to figure out the other Mm. one and you got to figure out like, who's what, who's the left tackle, who's the right tackle. But I feel like now we can pin at least one tackle position in when, for a lot of basically since we did that 2023 super team pod, we didn't really have answers once it was clear Zach Rice wasn't coming here. Other thing I wanted to talk about, we spent time uh, on the big chunk of the preview podcast talking about the defensive line rotation. And I don't know if we're shaming people into things because there's something else that happened that I felt like, oh, someone kind of <laughs> shamed into that because they got so many questions about it. But People wanted Zach Harrison and JT Tuimoloa to play even more. And then I don't know if you noticed it from home, Nathan, but like Zach Harrison and JT like didn't come off the field for like the first 20 minutes of the game. Yeah. They played every snap. And it was like, oh, you like that? Larry Johnson's like, do you like that? Did you want more of those guys? Well, now you got it. And they, they, they played well. And then the thing that was interesting about it is then Jack Sawyer came in late. And then Jack had a sack and a half. And I thought like Jack – did a couple things. And it was almost like, like they held Jack Sawyer back to be like, you know, the point guard of the second team when they bring everybody in after like, you know, the first eight minutes or whatever in an NBA game. And then Jack was like, let's go. And it was like, okay, maybe, maybe this is a thing. So, but I did think it was interesting that, Hey, does Larry Johnson rotate the defensive ends too much? Okay. They're not coming off the field at all. I thought Sawyer was almost more like the uh, the running back who comes in and feasts after the first guy has like softened up the defense for a while. He was just coming in and, and kind of cleaning up that second level. Like I don't know. I when I was doing the uh, the depth chart this week, I think I even put a note in there that said like, um, you know, Teron Vincent is probably the only person I can you can really reliably say what their definite depth chart usage is going to be right now from week to week. Because we've seen weeks where 
you know, not so much recently, but early this year, like maybe Zach Harrison starts, maybe he doesn't. Maybe JT starts, and maybe Jack Sawyer starts. And uh, who knows what they're doing at that tackle spot right now. It seems like they're keeping Mike Hall um, uh, behind glass a little bit. So, But, like, Teron Vincent is the guy at, at that at that tackle spot who is like, has been like the one reliable piece. But I think what we might've seen today is, is a bit of a transition to what it's going to be like going forward. That this, that this, that really probably by all accounts should be how this defense is um, structured. Right. Like those three guys, Vincent Harrison and JT Tumaloa should never leave the field. I mean, should rarely leave the field. Jack and JJB, if per my notes, didn't come in until 1041 left in the second quarter. Um, I don't think it'll be that extreme every week. Well, it might be on November 26th, but I think some of this was you knew this game was going to get out of hand and Zach and JT weren't going to play in the second half. So you give them as many reps as possible in the first half and then you sit them down for the day and let Jack have his moment. And he did. But I do agree that when you're, when November 26th rolls around, JT, Zach, and Teron Vincent probably should not come off the field in any for any meaningful snap. But we'll and see. And I also like Larry Johnson. One of the reasons Larry Johnson rotates is to keep guys fresh. When yeah. every Indiana drive only lasts a minute, Two seconds, everybody's yeah. fresh. Yeah, they're like, "Hey, Zach, how are you right. feeling?" Zach's like, "I'm good, man. I don't know what. I'm good. I don't need a break." And that's um, and that's I, what, frankly the other reason why they they probably will rotate more against Michigan. That's a team that's going to yeah. go on longer, longer run-based drives mm-hmm. to grind things out. They're going to have to go to their reserve a little bit more. We had talked a couple weeks ago about Ohio State seemed to run a lot out of the pistol, which is that short shotgun where it's like half a shotgun, but the back is behind the quarterback. And that pistol is designed as a, Ohio State's a shotgun team, but it lets the back get downhill rather than have the back offset standing next to the quarterback. And they'd run like, I think two weeks, two or three weeks ago, they ran out of it every time they got in that formation. And today they threw a play action touchdown pass to Marvin Harrison Jr. out of the pistol. That was when the guys bit. It was because they bit on a pistol play action to Dallin Hayden, and then they threw it to the guy who like leads the nation in touchdown catches. And I don't know again, like if if Ryan Day was like, "Would you guys just?" I was setting it up for a month. Would you just let me set it up? I'm setting it up for a month, and you keep ruining it. Or if it was like, "Fine, fine, you don't want me to run it out of everyone here." Fine, like I don't know if it's a master plan or again, not exactly shamed into it. But, like, I'll give you guy. you keep asking me about it, so fine, I'll do it. So I wanted to point that out. Steven, it what really if, worked. Yeah, it did. I, what if it is the master plan, but he's being shamed into doing it earlier than he wants to do it? <laughs> he was like, I was going to do it against yeah. Georgia. But when yeah. this made me do it against Indiana. It's like, yeah. we were going to eventually let CJ run. But no, I, the no. weather. <laughs> By the way, uh, you know, the saying around here used to be, Find someone who loves you the way Doug LaMaurice loves Joel Klatt. But the new saying is mm. find someone who loves you the way Joel Klatt loves Marvin Harrison Jr. Because that's the thing that I picked mm. up from the broadcast today is this man is enthralled. So M- Marvin scored the um, – I think it was on the, the play-action touchdown. And Gus Johnson said something along the line of, oh, that guy, he's the best in the country right now. And Joel says, the more I watch on film – more I watched film on Marvin Harrison Jr. He's the best receiver in college football. And then he doubles down and said, I think he's the best non-quarterback I've covered in my career. He's that okay. good. 
Oh my god! And then okay. later, he also like, a couple of weeks ago he after the during the Penn State game, if I'm remembering correctly, he said that Marvin Harrison is going to be the best receiver in the NFL in like four years. Calm yeah, he down. Said, he said something like crushes. that again today. Yeah, and then then he made yeah. that catch where along the sideline where he somehow like just did the splits in midair and like levitated and got one foot down. And I still don't know how that happened, but then he said, Oh my goodness, you are killing me. You are kidding me. This guy is unreal. I don't know. It did feel like the discussion, like that Kevin Wilson brought to light of short legs. It was like the short legs. Like if Marvin Harrison jr. Actually has short legs. Although when it was brought to Marvin Harrison jr. He was like, what? I didn't know I had short legs. I don't know. His first leg was coming down, and he made that leg just not land. Mm-hmm. And he made his other leg that was higher in the air land first. And I don't know how you do that, but there's a great photo on the internet that makes it look like he has a leg coming out of his shoulder. Yeah. And it's like, I don't I don't know what... I, for Halloween next year, I'm just going to buy a Marvin Harrison Jr. jersey, and I'm going to get a baby doll's leg and stick it out of my shoulder, because that's what that photo looks like. So Marvin Harrison Jr., very good at football. Um, so Last thing I want to talk about is, what's the guy's name? Oh, I'm trying to think. He's the guy that takes the snap from the center. Everyone talks about him sometimes. What's this guy? You said, what's his name? Oh, Cordero? Coleridge. C.J. Stroud, who we literally have not talked about the whole podcast. Coleridge Bernard. And also, Cam Babb had a moment. We have to talk about the Cam Babb moment. So, Cam Babb, who has gone through four ACL surgeries in his career, two on each knee, is a guy, like I said, like you look at this guy from the outside. He is incredibly handsome. He is incredibly fit. He's ripped. He has a six pack. Like everything on the outside of his body is perfect. And the inside of his body is like falling apart. Like his ACLs will not stay together. And then he had like another injury this year that it wasn't a torn ACL. And he was asked about it after the game. And it's just like, Risk. I think it's like scar tissue from stuff and like weirdness. And like, it's just... He couldn't get back on the field. So he's had this whole career, Steven. He was a top 100 recruit. He's a captain. Everybody loves him. And I don't think I've ever seen a touchdown celebration like the one after after this touchdown that he scored late in the fourth quarter where he gave like prolonged hugs to probably 12 to 15 different people on the sideline. You could People were walking away, wiping tears from their face after hugging him. Teammates, other people on the sideline. I don't know if there's members of the training staff. It was one of the most emotional touchdowns you would ever see. And the result was C.J. Stroud and Cam Babb came into the postgame news conference together, and C.J. Stroud took a back seat. And I don't think C.J. Stroud was ever happier mm-hmm. in a news conference in his whole life because they're very good friends. This was Cam Babb's moment. And also, C.J. got to be like the passenger. You get to ride in the sidecar for somebody else's show instead of having to carry the load the whole time. So, Stephen, you are writing about this. You talked to Cam's parents after the game. Um, you and I, and to your credit, as soon as he came on the field, you were like, they're throwing him a touchdown pass. And it felt like, oh, maybe they've been planning this for two months. And then afterward, it didn't seem that way. What was the story of how Cam Babb got his touchdown? I mean, that would have been beautiful if he was actually planning this for too much. But how it's worked out is Cameron Babb finally got healthy. He actually, we were talking after he got done on the podium. I was just having a conversation. He said, it's two ACLs in each knee. Twice, and then a meniscus is the is the fifth thing that he had since he's been here. Um, he's finally getting his opportunity. How it starts off is how the opportunity actually presents itself is the muff punt, and so now it's 
49 to 14 instead of 49 to 7. And so you have to wait a whole other drive to put Kyle McCord in the game for who knows why. But the starters come back out there. Marvin gets another catch. And then he takes Marvin off of the field. And he finally and he puts Cameron Babb out there. But even before that, you could see Cameron Babb warming up during the media timeout as if he was preparing to go onto the field. And so a couple of plays go by, uh, a run for Dallin Hayden, a swing pass for Xavier Johnson, and the moment kind of set itself up perfectly to get Cameron Babb a chance because it's in the red zone and there's an injury. So now everybody's huddled up on the sideline. And, and, and even before that, though, up, there was, it was like a circumstance of events because there was a moment they wanted, as you said, they wanted to get Marvin Harrison Jr. out of the game because they didn't want to risk him yeah. anymore. And Brian Hartline said to Ryan Day, maybe it's time to put Cam Babb in. So mm-hmm. Ryan Day gave Brian Hartline for the idea of like, let's get Cam in now. So that yeah. wasn't necessarily a master plan of we've been thinking for two months, let's get Cam Babb in against Indiana. So the first step is Brian Hartline has to put him in the game. Now continue with what you're doing. Right. So now he's in the game and it's still not a master plan. It's just he's the dude that's out there. And while they're in that little timeout during the injury, CJ goes up to Ryan Day and he goes, how about we try to get Cameron Babb a touchdown right here? And Great idea, CJ. Let's try to get this dude that everybody in this program loves. He's literally the leader of the program and has been basically since he showed up, whether he was a captain or not. He's the block hole recipient this year. And he runs a route that, quite frankly, isn't the most simple route. It's not like he just ran a curl route. He ran a a kind of a hitch route, a route that we saw Chris Olave master here. So it showed off, okay, some of the stuff that they've been saying about Cameron Babb when he's healthy is kind of true. He is a bit of an elite athlete. He just hasn't been able to stay healthy to show it long enough, but he catches a touchdown pass. He obviously gets tackled out of bounds. He gets back up, goes on to his knees, and then thus begins the 15-minute long I'm going to hug everybody. One of the people he was hugging, the trainers, his name is Adam Stewart. That's been the guy he's been working with for the past five years through all these injuries. And I was talking to his mother after the game. One, she said, I'm not surprised that that it lasted that long. I'm not that surprised that they got the penalty because of how much he means to this program. Yeah, they got a penalty. They got a delay of game penalty because so many people were hugging Cam Babbitt. And nobody cared about the penalty. Nobody cared about the penalty at all. She didn't even watch it. She has no idea how her son scored because she was just so nervous the way moms can get. His dad was speechless about it. And it's because, I mean, to go through all that and be as positive as Cam Bab is and the people he's touched within the program without necessarily doing anything whatsoever. I think the only other game that he's played in a relevant way was the 2020 Big Ten Championship game on special teams. And he like threw a block for Trey uh, Trey Sermon on one of those um, big runs that Trey Sermon had. But for a guy who's done nothing on the field because his body has not allowed him to, he still made an impact on this program that uh, us in the media, we talk about it all the time, how big of a deal he is. I think the world got to see it up front, close and personal today, but the way everybody responded to that touchdown. Here's what Ryan Day said about it after the game. There was something special that went on on the field there. And you can see what our team, what he means to our team. And I'm just really happy for him. But just really selfishly proud to be part of a moment like that. To see someone overcome such great obstacles in life. I just can't say enough about it. Because you know there'll be great wins here. And there will be great accomplishments here at Ohio State. But what he's overcome is one of the great accomplishments, and it's not something that people see. But at least they were able to be a part of that right there. Um, Nathan, that's the thing of like, I it, I thought it was important. Again, so here's the thing, and, and I don't want to, 
You can overdo things. I don't want to overdo things. Ryan Day, I think, has been trying to find things for his team, right? I mean, I, that's what I think a lot of like the run game thing is. You want to find things that make make our bond our team, unite our team, make our team feel something together. And there's that Cam Babb first catch of his career, first touchdown, and I th- it, this might be it because you're not going to be able to do that for him against Michigan. And I don't know what's going to happen against Maryland. Like this, this was it might have been now or never for him to have a moment like that. And I was talking to somebody after the game, and I said there was a a story I wrote one time about a guy, a Major League Baseball player, who got one hit in Major League Baseball. And and I wrote a whole story about, like, the difference between one and zero is, like, a, a mountain. You know, the difference – it's 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 just like having a kid, Nathan. The difference between zero kids and one kid is like, ah, oh, it's just one kid. It's like, yes, but it's zero. It's zero. It's go to the movies, go get a taco, sleep like a normal human. Right. To one, you're a zombie, but you feel more love than you've ever felt in your entire life. The gap between zero and one, you can't even describe it. The gap between, I came to Ohio State, my knees exploded, and I never caught a pass. And I caught a touchdown on Ohio Stadium. Hey, you caught a touchdown on Ohio Stadium? Yeah, I did. That is well, so monumental, and it's not just for him; it's for the team. And I thought that was a moment that was for all the people who helped him, all the people who love him, which is everybody in that building. And I'm not saying they're going to win the national championship because Cam Babb cut a touchdown against Indiana in the fourth quarter, but it was a moment for this team. And I thought that was a very astute point by Ryan Day because you can think about, boy, is that great for him? But it was great for them because they love him. And then he came in after he is very into his faith. He is very, um, I mean, he is uh, has a sense of purpose about everything he does. He is like as real of a dude as you will come across with what he, how he sees the world and what he thinks is important in life. And here's the thing, like he honestly, I think you got this in the, in the news conference, Stephen, he would have been okay if that never happened. Because to him, this isn't really what it's about. He is a much larger purpose dude. So I do think it, it is a difference of, it was a great moment for him, but man, everybody, and everybody in that stadium who's like, man, they must really like that guy. Look at yeah. all those hugs. That was a moment for everybody else through him because he's so important to this team. And it maybe wasn't a master plan, but whatever had to happen to make it happen was worth it. His mother even said that. It, it, she said, this is what she said to me. He needed it to know that he could do it, that he could close this chapter of his life. He was, he was determined, I'm going to play in a football game here. Even if it's the only football game I ever play in here, I'm going to get this. I'm, I don't care how many ACL, meniscus, knee, whatever. I'm eventually going to play in a football game. And he had some times, obviously, like any human being, where it was dark for him. And he's wondering, do I still want to keep practicing? And I know I'm not playing and whatnot. But he was determined to eventually have this moment. And it's not because – so this, the scoring the touchdown part was a cherry on the top. He didn't need to score a touchdown. He just needed to prove to himself that he wasn't crazy to keep coming back time and time again. This is just, you know – to the moon and back because the best possible version of that played out. Yeah. And listen, it was crazy, Nathan, wasn't it? I mean, like you watch, like I've never seen, I've never seen a guy get so many hugs in a football game. And, but that's, I think the great thing about it is because of what he went through. I mean, all the guys who have scored the final touchdown of a 56 to 14 ish game at Ohio stadium, that's actually a pretty long and 
not all that distinguished list of guys probably in some ways. Like there's mm-hmm. probably if you were to look back through history, you'd be like, Oh, that walk on scored a touchdown here. Oh, that's interesting. Like, and kudos to them. I'm not taking anything away from them. They, they got on the field and earned it and I, I couldn't do it. But I, what I'm trying to get around to is that how much, because of everything he went through, how much more special that moment was, because I think I know there weren't a hundred and some thousand left in the stadium at that point, obviously, but how many tens of thousands of people were in that stadium? I think a lot of them know the Cam Babs story because it's just it was so extreme, and we everybody on this beat has written feature stories about it, and they know the Blocko jersey already now, and like and so that that stadium got to embrace him, the team gets to embrace him in a in a in a in a real way. Um, it, it, there were a lot of things that just made that really special on on a day where it could have just been you know a, a throwaway moment. Um, that that they you know that they had that kind of sense of timing you know C J Stroud going over and saying hey we should how how would we try to get him one here and them drawing one up and um and and his let's face it his chances are probably better catching a touchdown pass with C J Stroud than if he had been on the field with someone mm-hmm. else no offense to Kyle McCord or anybody else so I it just it it was nice to see for once the timing finally work out in Cam Babs' favor. And, and like Ryan Day did say, they only they were going to put him out there with the ones because I think they don't want to put him in harm's way. Like, right, that he's already mm-hmm. – he's got knee braces on. You just don't yeah. want him to get a little loose. It does – it is always a little funny to me. Like, well, we were going to put the backups in, but then Indiana cut the lead to 35, and we thought, here come the Hoosiers. We better keep the first teamers in. It's like, what? Like, oh. Like, if it, when it was 49 to 7, we thought we had the game in hand. But then when it was 49 to 14, it was like, oh. Better keep the first teamers in. But of course it worked out. I don't know what Cam Babb is going to do. He is as natural of a leader, I think, as as potentially, you know, again, Malcolm Jenkins is like on the mountaintop to me of like how you go about your business. Um, he's probably in the top five of like natural. Troy Smith had a natural magnetism. But the way people respond to Cam Babb is extraordinary. And I don't know. I would guess he may wind up being a faith leader in his life because it is mm-hmm. so important to him. And he is so charismatic and a, and a guy that people are drawn to. He certainly, he sees himself as having a bigger purpose. And I, I would imagine that he's going to have a bigger impact than catching a touchdown in Ohio stadium with what he does for the next 80 years of his life. But it was a really cool moment uh, on Saturday. And I think everybody watching it appreciated it. And let's end with this. Steven, did we think C.J. Stroud got his groove back a little bit after? And again, I, there's a point I want to make here because I've seen some people saying, uh, here's Ohio State proven. That was Nathan. I don't know if you guys know this. I'm really said. sorry. I thought um, I thought he, I think I already had muted it. And so I hit the button and coughed, but then I unmuted it. And so you just all heard my cough. I'm really sorry. No, listen, you're a trooper, man. We're at an hour 24 and you're still hanging in. So this is all bonus, bonus bear. Toughness, territory. man. Toughness. Yeah. Nathan Baird, he doesn't throw on third and two. He rams head first into the line and takes his loss of three like a man. Yeah, we asked ourselves, do we want to have a tough podcast or do we want to have a winning podcast? And we decided we go with tough tonight. Uh, you guys submitting for the podcast awards? Yeah, we're going to submit that a 30-second part where Nathan was coughing. Show how tough we are. Um, so here's the thing. Uh, Ryan Day... When he when he talked about the Northwestern game last week, he was calling it extreme. It wasn't bad weather last week. It was extreme weather. And so I saw some people on Twitter, oh, here's Ohio State proving what they can do in bad weather. It was just snowing a little bit. Yeah. And it was just blowing a little bit. But like the difference between Saturday and last Saturday was again a gulf. 
So I do think it's not that Ohio State can't play in bad weather. It's that they have trouble in extreme weather. So I think that was a reminder. So, Stephen, it certainly wasn't perfect conditions on Saturday. It was blowing. When the snow was falling, it wasn't falling straight down. It was blowing sideways a little bit. But CJ played well, I thought. And it's not absolutely spectacular numbers, although we did have five touchdown passes. Um, at Julian Fleming dropped the deep ball that probably should have been six. So he winds up 17 of 28 for 297 and five touchdowns. And we often talk about, hey, they got to get the running game going. But I think we all thought this very well would be, could be a get well game for Ohio State. I think it's a good thing for CJ Stroud to get back on track in game 10 of the season when he got off track last week, not by his own fault, but I thought this was important. I think he had one bad throw today or at least one bad decision. And it was honestly the type of stuff that got Justin Fields in trouble in the, against Indiana in 2020, where he scrambled out and then he tried to zip it to the far side of Julian Fleming and it almost got picked. But other than that, yeah, this is, CJ Stroud got back to normal now that he got to play in this is no it's November the the weather's going to be like this it's going to be cold some level of wind and there's going to probably be some level of precipitation when they play in the Midwest until they get indoors that's just how it's going to be the problem isn't that CJ Stroud can't throw in cold weather he proved that last year even in the Michigan game he almost had 400 yards in that game that's not the problem it was just it was crazy last week so yeah get well game for the for CJ Stroud and the passing game especially Marvin Harrison Jr., who, you know, another his fifth 100-yard game of the season. I do, if I'm going to be nitpicky about anything, because who are we if we're not nitpicky as media members? Ohio State's reaching some dangerous territory of it being the Marvin Harrison show because he has so much separated himself from a Mecca, even a Mecca at this point, a Mecca and Julian, that it's like, all right, now, Teams are just going to start corner safety over the top and maybe even another guy to bracket all that situation that I think Marvin's doing his job. I think the other two need to pick up the pace a little bit because it can't just be the Marvin Harrison show and then hoping that like Kate Stover does something spectacular like he did today on that touchdown catch. Actually, it's a really interesting point. Marvin, 12 targets, Emeka and Julian combined eight. I mean, counterpoint would be that Marvin Harrison Jr. is like an alien and is just better than everybody, and it's being proven to us in a very so he's dark the, he's way the right alien before our eyes. And okay, and is no, I mean, I'm, I, it, my point is that like maybe it just is the Marvin Harrison Jr. show, like maybe he's just this insanely good, and that's why he gets more targets than the other two combined. And we were freeze framing one of the early touchdowns to a Mecca, where like the. There were like two Indiana guys bracketing a Mecca, and they both yeah. dropped into the end zone. And then a Mecca just stopped short of them and caught a pass from CJ Stroud. And the guy was like, "Oh, at least we didn't get beat deep." And I was like, "What? What are you <laughs> doing?" But when you freeze frame that, Marvin's on the top of the play, and there are two guys living in his jersey. And it's like, okay, well they're not throwing to him. Right. And then they kind of had three guys on the bottom covering Egbuka and Fleming. And the one safety kind of had to make a choice and kind of went, I think, towards Julian, and that really opened up the final opening that Emeka needed to make that catch. But when you freeze it, it's like, oh, they just decided that whatever happens on this play, Marvin Harrison Jr., they're not even going to try to throw it to him. Because actually, if they threw it into the double coverage, he might have caught it. But it was just so ridiculous, they're going to make him go away from that. So, it's, you know, when it gets ridiculous, 
They've got to be able to do something else. Yeah. But I'm not even sure what ridiculous is because there was a shot that CJ took down the field to Marvin that there were two guys right there, and he was open for like half a step on the route, and CJ, the ball hit Marvin in the hands in the half step that he was open. He wasn't open at any other moment, but CJ and Marvin were were just that way together. And I do think there are going to be times, Stephen, where you can't overdo it. But also, I'm a little encouraged by the idea of, well, just because people are trying to defend him doesn't mean they're giving up on it. So 12 targets is a lot for him, but I think it's it might be the right number. Yeah, two things can be true. Marvin can be an alien from a different planet, but also I think – he had one, CJ had one throw where he was a little drunk on Marvin. And if you looked to the right just a little bit, Kate Stover's wide open for, for probably no, should have been a right. touchdown. You pointed out in the moment, he, he tried Marvin down the sideline and Cade yeah. was coming wide open down the seam that was free. Yeah. I think my only issue with it is, and it's being nitpicky. I know it's being nitpicky. The thing that made this passing attack so lethal last year is, is you had to deal with, you came into the year thinking, man, you already got to deal with two of these dudes. And then Jackson started playing well. And so I was like, now we got to deal with three of them. And that's what makes it so lethal is that there's multiple guys you got to deal with. And if this turns into a situation where we don't know what's happening with Jackson, maybe he's back by the Michigan game. Maybe he's not. We don't know. But if this turns into a situation where let's say you get on that stage against Georgia and it's clearly just like all they got to worry about is Marvin because the other guys have kind of tailed off a little bit. That's where this is getting a little dicey because then it's not the powerful Ohio state passing attack. It's the one, two punch of CJ Stroud and Marvin Harrison jr. And as cool as it was to talk about that with Jackson Smith, the Jigba and CJ in the off season, we knew the other guys were eventually going to have to come along. I do think it's, it's worth mentioning. It's a stat. I looked up that I put in my post game column. It's like, we talk about it all the time, but I think you can lose the thread a little bit. Sometimes Last year, Jackson Smith and Jigba and Travion Henderson combined yards from scrimmage, 3,166. It's mm. a lot of yards for those two guys. It's like, oh, they're both back. Right now, combined Jackson Smith and Jigba and Travion Henderson yards from scrimmage, 592. And that's obviously, it's almost all Trey. Mm-hmm. So it's a reminder of, well, that's what you kind of maybe thought they'd do again. Plus... Add in Mayan Williams, add in Marvin Harrison Jr., add in Emeka Abuka, add in Julian Fleming, add in Cade Stover. And instead, it's almost minus those guys, and those guys are, and everyone else has filled the void when you thought they would be additions. But guess what? They both might be back this year at close to full health. Like that is still possible. And then, like, what that might be could be be very very interesting so it's just a reminder it's a big drop off on, on what you expected from guys who have not been able to do it because of injury okay that was raw and it was long and i'm not going to say it but it but that's we try to get back to our roots we're just letting it all hang out we will be in maryland next week we will be covering this team during the course of this week make sure you're reading cleveland.com slash osu and again, it, it just might be the right time to try the text if you never have. 614-350-3315. If you're in the text already, awesome. We love it. We love you. Thanks for doing it. We hope you guys enjoyed this one. We'll be back. Nathan and I, if he's feeling good, we'll be back with this Monday pod. We have a whole, just a, just a bunch of stuff. It's here, Stretch Runs here. We appreciate you guys being along for the ride. For Stephen Means and an ailing but tough Nathan Baird. 
I'm Doug LaMaurice, and that was Buckeye Talk. <laughs>